0: This is the Pain Information Network. More on addiction and all that jazz. Welcome back. This is going to be the second segment of our addiction talk and medically assisted treatment talk so let's let's go back and kind of review what we talked about i introduced what's called a buprenorphines or a treatment course we can utilize to help people they want to reduce or quit their use of illicit drugs such as heroin or other opioids and pain relievers and the like we went through some really key concepts and this is important uh, it's not a moral failure addiction is a disease and you can have your biases and your beliefs but the fact of the matter is there's medical treatment to help people in this epidemic age of addiction overdose death swinging it back home about 19 to 20,000 people a year die from drug overdoses many more go to the hospital that includes icu admissions er admissions All of it's wildly expensive to society, to the person, to the family. And also we talked that it's important to realize this is not an alone disease. This isn't a person having a problem. It affects the family. It affects your coworkers. It affects everybody around you. So buprenorphine is a tool along with other things we're going to be talking about. Buprenorphine is potentially life-saving. We talked about the alternative treatment called methadone, and we're going to de-emphasize that one in these talks. I'm going to hit that one later. Once again, methadone does not have a sense of humor that we are aware of. We talked about this is an FDA-approved treatment. It is not off-label. In the three phases of induction, stabilization, and maintenance where we can diminish the effects of physical dependency and the withdrawal symptoms and the cravings, we can stop that or greatly reduce it. And it does produce effects such as euphoria and sometimes respiratory depression, but much, much less so than heroin and methadone because it has a ceiling effect. In other words, you take more of a regular opioid, a pure mu-opioid agonist, where it sits on that receptor, and the more you take, the more you get, then you hit the wall, you hit the side effects, you hit the potential for respiratory depression and eventual death. It doesn't do that. Buprenorphine kind of goes up a curve and then flattens out. And that's good. (laughs) And so we also talked a little bit about The importance of telling folks that have been on heroin or been on drugs, that have had an abstinence, that's either from incarceration or they quit for a while, whatever the situation is, to have a plan. And it could be a rescue plan like naloxone, that's a previous podcast, or a rescue plan where somebody either directly or indirectly dials 911 for them or gets them in the hospital or gets them into treatment because of this concept of tolerance. When you have been away from something for a while, you don't have tolerance. And this is what we see with heroin, for example. People say, well, i got to go get some more heroin. I'm out of jail. And they go back and get the same dose of heroin, no tolerance, and they die. So that's an important role for buprenorphine. Get folks into a buprenorphine program quickly If they feel like they're going to start to have problems either with personal issues in the family, divorce, job, whatever it might be, and they go into this potential stage of relapse, and if they're protected to some degree by buprenorphine, they potentially won't use or they'll blunt the effects of the uh, drug, and they just uh, will not be able to uh, obtain the euphoria high probably that they could before. And so it, it's an important drug in that regard. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about things. A little deeper on the ceiling effect, the ceiling f- effect lowers the risk of misuse dependency and side effects. So the opioid effects increase with each dose until at a moderate dose, they level off. Even with further dose increases, it just kind of levels off. And it's a long-acting agent. And some patients may not even have to take this drug every day. Buprenorphine sits on that receptor where the actions of opioids occur, and it replaces the opioid, such as heroin or morphine, whatever it might be, And it it grips that receptor, and that's what we want, Uh, somewhat of a shield, if you will. Side effects of buprenorphine, and they're similar to any opioid. Nausea, vomiting, constipation, inability to sleep, muscle aches and cramps, and sometimes people just feel irritable with it. Sometimes you can have cravings, and sometimes you can have a fever, but that's kind of rare. All right, misused potential for buprenorphine is very, very real. And people do snort it, they do misuse it, and they buy it off the street because, like I just said, sometimes folks don't need to take it every day, so they've got a little extra medicine. And there's a street value because some people can't get their hands on their, their regular opioid, and they're going to go through withdrawal, they know it, and they grab a, uh, a buprenorphine. The desired buprenorphine is the pure buprenorphine, one that doesn't have an added ingredient. And that added ingredient is naloxone. Naloxone is found in the film Suboxone, Subsolve, to name a couple. Subutex does not have it. Now, what does this mean? And what what is the relevance? Naloxone decreases the likelihood of diversion and misuse of the combination drug. And they're taken a number of different ways, but uh, the opioid effects dominate over the naloxone, uh, and it does block opioid withdrawal. But if the tablets uh, are crushed or injected somehow, however they get, get it, the naloxone effect dominates at that time, which can bring on opioid withdrawals. In other words, the routes of administration that might get somebody high or uh, is desired, such as snorting, something like that, the naloxone takes over, particularly with the injected form. So it's somewhat protective. It's not as desirable on the street because of that. And so there's pushback, and it's, it's a red flag for me. Oh, I can't, I can't take that one with naloxone. I'm, I'm allergic to that. No, 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 no. We have uh, years and years and years of use with the naloxone and experience with naloxone to know that allergy and side effects from that drug are extraordinarily low. They just don't want the naloxone. They want the pure subutex. Or in, uh, I, I can tell you that my problems with subutex are... It's uh, value on the street, and I, I really push away from that drug whenever I can. However, it's generic, and some of the others aren't, so it's cheaper. So if you have somebody with a financial challenge, well, that's that's a tight spot. The other issue is with the pregnancy. and a study called the Mother Study. We'll touch on it, but it's beyond the scope of this talk. If somebody is pregnant, and they're addicted to opioids, methadone, heroin, whatever, you don't want to abruptly discontinue them or put them into any risk of withdrawal because they could lose a baby, particularly at vulnerable stages of the pregnancy. It's not the right time to take them off. So we don't want to give them naloxone. It's uh, probably got a little extra risk to the fetus, although it's probably minuscule. Uh, but that's what, that's what we do. We then give them the pure d- drug, but we have to tighten up the adherence monitoring. Now, with the m- normal use of these buprenorphine, people feel normal. They don't get high. And the withdrawal st- symptoms are just staying away, and it reduces cravings. And that's the point. Now, it gets down to this. When do we prescribe what? Well, federal and state prescribing requirements for controlled substances, underline the word controlled, is to comply with federal and state laws. And that law is uh, Act 21 U.S.C. 829, semicolon 21 CFR 1306.04, parentheses A, close parentheses. I... A controlled substance must be issued for a legitimate medical purpose by an individual practitioner acting in the usual course of professional practice. The problem is legitimate medical purpose is not defined by federal law. It defines a validity of controlled substance practicing. It requires supportive assessment documentation. The documentation has to be there. It's determined by community standard, not the Drug Enforcement Agency. That's DEA in America. So the documentation must be robust. And we will not prescribe a controlled substance, being buprenorphine, being an oxycodone, I love you, I hate you, hydrocodone, mostly don't like you. And other medications I use on a regular basis without legitimate medical need or sometimes called purpose determined by community standards. It's really state. You know, state, uh, the states have their different types of controlled substance policies and guidelines. You want to see a real good uh, guideline on controlled substances, go to asipp.org. And for free, you can download it. It's uh, under opioid guidelines. And I had the pleasure of working on that document and uh, assisting in its formation. And it's been updated many times. It's a really technical document, but a very, very good one. So if you want to know something about a drug, go to that document, and you'll understand that drug a little bit more. Take it in small chunks. The legitimate medical need and purpose is also defined there, as is uh, some of the documentation standards. All right. Now there's this this fellow, and uh, I'm just going to call him Watson. I'd been shot on the streets. I'd been in detox. Unfortunately, that detox was in jails, institutions, and death. I knew was imminent for me. So I started my, my lifelong recovery process. It's been fifteen years since and my life has never been better. That's that's the deal. Most people will tell you, I'm getting my life back. I feel better. I'm reducing the incredible risks in my life, going to jail, losing everything, including family, friends, money, everything. All right, more on the medication assisted treatment. These FDA approved medications for the treatment of opioid and opioid addiction and substance abuse is what medication assisted treatment consists of. Let's go deeper into that. It requires training. And what the training does is it increases the knowledge base and clinical proficiency of prescribers and providers from diverse multidisciplinary healthcare backgrounds that's the thing it's not just an addiction specialist it can be family care it can be internal medicine neurology physiatry the list goes on that is really important it isn't just one specialty so that enhances access to care there's web-based training usually I I told you it takes between 8 and 11 hours and it focuses on buprenorphine Um, and then once you complete that, you can apply to the DEA for a waiver. The waiver is a is a what's called an uh, X waiver, is on your DEA certificate that allows you to prescribe this drug for addiction. Key people should never we, quote wean people on methadone when it's used for pain without a waiver. People should not be using buprenorphine for addiction without a waiver. It's, it's just absolutely imperative to understand that. This waiver is, is absolutely necessary, and it's easy to get. And you can do half of it in face-to-face, and you can do half of it uh, on, the, on the web. It's just it's easy. Get it, protect your DEA certificate, and add value to your practice to get some of these folks treated. At the time of this podcast, right on the cusp of being able to prescribe this drug to 275 patients. You have to add counseling and the like. We talked about that. It used to be 31st year, 100 max. Kind of crazy. I know. It's arbitrary. Now it's just been pushed up to 250. We we don't have it available for PAs and nurse practitioners yet, but I strongly uh, or urge anybody that's interested on the uh, provider levels to write their congressman or write their legislature all politics is local if we can get that even raised further more access to care all right. when you're using medication assistant treatment to treat addiction requirements are a patient history and physical Okay, that goes without saying that Uh, also helps define legitimate medical need and laboratory testing is needed and that's urine testing and in another podcast we briefly talked about that it is not an incrimination and it is not finger pointing and it's nothing uh, judgmental about you it's necessary it's necessary to obtain uh, urine uh, testing to identify what's there and what isn't there or what should be there And to follow that along and it doesn't necessarily mean that when you mess up once you're out of the program that's not the point the point is to strengthen the relationship and resolve to an end result so we might also want to get some blood tests let's just say you shared needles or had needles or something along those lines of course we're going to want to check you for a hepatitis panel liver functions we're going to check for HIV and the like it's it's important. And if somebody is fairly promiscuous because they need their medication and that's the way they make money, well, we got to test you. And a lot of uh, the females that come in childbearing age, of course, we're going to check to see if you're pregnant. And w- what is the actual policy? That's your policy. That's the provider's policy. And that's the patient's policy. What my policy in life, what should I do? I want to get healthy. Well, let's look at you. Let's do our job as providers, and let's do our job as patients and consumers and say, well, you know, I have shared needles, or, you know, I've, yeah, I've been around the block. Um, Can I get checked? I might be pregnant. Enough said. The FDA has approved three oral medications and one injectable medication, and the injectable medication we'll get to in a little bit, and The um, medications that we also uh, treat aren't always just specific medications or what you think of as a medication, but they are psychoactive substances, and one of them might be alcohol. It's everywhere. It's easy to get. And people that um, use drugs tend to drink too. All right, there's three that are pre- approved for uh, alcohol use disorder. I'm just going to go through these real quick. We'll talk about them some other time. But disulfiram, ooh, that's a tough one. Naltrexone, that's an emerging one. We also use that for opioids. And camprasate. that's a, another tough one to use. And they have different levels of effectiveness. I'm going to lean toward naltrexone and naltrexone. Um, it's uh, probably an emerging therapy for alcohol use disorder, and it also helps with opioid use disorder, which we see together a lot. So, there's three million Americans that have been prescribed Suboxone, and that number keeps going up. And there's seven million Americans unlawfully using prescription medications for non-medical uses. That number is, of course, higher, and that's probably a dated number. But what is the real number? I don't know. It changes so often. So, what you do when you get somebody in an MAT or medication-assisted treatment program? First of all, I, I identify comorbid diseases, history and physical, get the get the laboratories you need, and you set goals. Okay, the provider and the patient should should agree on the goals. They must, and everybody must be willing to to refine those goals as you go along. Remember, I said benchmarks at three, six, nine, twelve months, and in the course. Most folks with addiction need some patient education. They need to understand what they have. It's a disease. It's not a moral failure. It's something we can treat. You may have a relapse. That is not a disaster. We can help you. But if you're going to relapse, we got to have a plan for it. I don't want you ending up in the hospital or worse. Informed consent. You'll get that. And carry a medical alert. Uh, Tell them you're in a medication-assisted treatment program. Uh, God forbid you get in a car accident or something along those lines. Buprenorphine makes a difference. And as an anesthesiologist, it makes a difference, uh, say, preoperatively, postoperatively, and how we treat you in general. Okay? So get the medical alert. uh, uh, you don't have to have a tag or anything like that, but get a card or something. People don't know, have, have to know that you're in uh, treatment. In fact, I think there's some pretty robust laws protecting you so that, you know, your business stays your business. And that, and that improves best outcome, too. So this is what we do when we're evaluating. We, of course, like we just said, legitimate medical need or purpose there. And the need for medically managed withdrawal is going to be evident. And it usually begins 24 to 48 hours after um, either alcohol drops or the drugs drop. Uh, usually most drugs, except for methadone, start to have problems um, in roughly two to three days. Now, benzodiazepines, depending on the half-life of the benzodiazepines or the uh, even the potential potency of the benzodiazepine, it can be quite a ways down the road because they have uh, metabolites that are active, and that's a case of Valium. Or it can be fairly short with some of the short benzodiazepines. So that's tricky. you got to look that one up. And so somewhere around 24 to 48 hours, things are getting uh, a little bit sketchy. And And if it persists, people really start feeling the need for something, alcohol in particular, opioids, and benzodiazepines. Now, alcohol and benzodiazepines... Abruptly discontinuing them and going going to withdrawal can be potentially life-threatening. You don't do that one yourself. You get help. Opioids, you can slowly taper yourself if you feel particularly bold. Most people fail at that plan. It's not a good idea. It requires a support system. So there's a Clinical Institute Withdrawal Assessment for Alcohol Scale called a CIWA, and that's uh, C-I-W-A-A-R, and there's all sorts of... Uh, sources on the internet to look that one up. And benzodiazepines are effective in treating, uh, ironically, alcohol withdrawal. And that's why you don't want to do it alone. We have treatments for you. And then there's pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic treatments. We have to integrate uh, the psychosocial treatments that enhances that best outcome scenario and improves um, adherence so that People stick with it. Who wants to do it alone? When you're at the lowest part of your life, some of the lowest parts of your life you'll ever be at. Why do you want to do it alone? And it encourages uh, participation in mutual help programs. You know, take AA, NA, and long-term recovery. This is a lifelong problem. You're going to have triggers, and you're going to want to uh, you're going to want to relapse, and it happens and that's just almost uh, expected. Uh, It's you haven't screwed up. It's the nature of the neurobiology. I pretty much have broken these into 20 minutes because they're so, um, intensive with their, with the knowledge that I'm throwing out here. I'm going to go on to another 20 minute podcast in, in the next couple of days. And, And please go, if you don't mind, um, Leave a review at uh, iTunes. It really helps me rank, and I want people to hear this stuff. I'm both providers, as you, as you can hear, it's a mix for providers and for patients. You get, I want you to kind of know what we're doing and thinking. And I want people to feel that there is help out there. I don't want them to feel doom, gloom, the light at the end of the tunnel is a truck. Next uh, podcast, I'm going to talk about disulfiram and naltrexone a little further. We're going to start going into addiction and uh, what it all means. Uh, and <laughs> some of the stuff I talked to the DEA, uh, in a couple of speeches I've given to them, um, they're great people, by the way. Uh, I talked to them about um, uh, buprenorphine in kind of a, a lighthearted way. And we're going to go through uh, kids with addiction and a few more things down the road here. So we've got a few more segments to go on this. I'm going to b- uh, be breaking it up for you Now, if you just need a little inspiration, you want to hear a little bit of, uh, I guess, eccentricity, go to Watme, or W-A-T-M-E. That's another podcast. Uh, it's just kind of designed to lighten people up, and it's just me being eccentric. And if you uh, leave iTunes review there, too, it'll really help. I've thrown some of the Watmes in, the, in, these, uh, in this podcast series, but... Uh, I just uh, I have it out there for you, and I appreciate you going to take a look at that. And if you know somebody that needs help, get them help. He may be saving their life. This is not a small deal. People don't have control when they get these opioids in them. They don't have control sometimes with alcohol. It just takes off. And when it takes off, you, they can't feel like everybody is looking at them with one eye half closed and one eye half open. We have to look at them with the intensity that um, you know is there because you're thinking logically. They are thinking on emotion. They can be helped. They may not feel like it. It's an emotional time in their life and it's a down time of their life. Give them something to look up to. I'll see you soon.